in the long history of the world, only a few generations have been granted the role of defending freedom in its hour of maximum danger. I do not shrink from this responsibility. I welcome it. I do not believe that any of us would exchange places with any other people or any other generation. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And the glow from that fire can truly light the world. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. My fellow citizens of the world, ask not what America will do for you, but what together we can do for the freedom of man. Finally, whether you are citizens of America or citizens of the world, ask of us here the same high standards of strength and sacrifice which we ask of you. With a good conscience, our only sure reward, with history the final judge of our deeds, let us go forth to lead the land we love, asking his blessing and his help, but knowing that here on earth, God's work must truly be our own. The Destruction of American Exceptionalism. Welcome back to Truth Thursday here on the Rob Manus Show on Patriot.tv Live and our X-Spaces simulcast live show with our live audience. Is America still an exceptional nation? Did the founders build exceptionalism into our DNA? Is the current American society capable of being exceptional in the sense of the founders' intention? Well, many believe our exceptionalism is eroded to the point that we may not be able to recover. But is that an accurate perception of reality? Who and what philosophies have eroded this exceptionalism? Are we still the great America Reagan and Kennedy had so much optimism and confidence in? These are the questions of our time. And the answers are critically important to our grandchildren and our children's future. My guest today is Anders W. Edwardson. He was born in Sweden after receiving a master's degree in history from uh, Sweden's Uppsala University and studying U.S. history at the University of North Dakota, a place near and dear to my heart. He worked as a field archaeologist in Ireland and the U.K., and in 2011, he came back to the U.S. to pursue a lifelong interest in history and politics. He received a master's degree and a Ph.D., in politics from Catholic University of America, and he currently lives in the free state of Florida. Well, he wrote a book called Radical Betrayal, 
how liberals and neoconservatives are wrecking American exceptionalism, and it's his first book. Anders, welcome to the Rob Manus Show, sir. Thank you, Rob, and thank you for having me. Well, I guess the first question I need to ask, uh, you know, looking at the, the, the clip from John F. Kennedy's inaugural uh, speech, you know, that he oozes. I mean, he just beams out what I think the founders uh, thought about America, but in the modern day sense, in the 20th century sense. Uh, and, and he's so confident that every citizen down to uh, the even the most poor in the United States of America still believes in what he believes is the exceptional nation of America and that we shouldn't ask it to do something for us, but we should be asking ourselves how we can help it. And he says the same thing to the citizens of the world. Uh, do we still have people, uh, Americans like that, that believe that? I know I do, but I'm just some guy, you know, uh, down here on the beach in South Mississippi. Uh, but do we still have Americans that can gather their American people in the spirit of the founders' intention of American exceptionalism and, and take our, this country forward so my grandkids uh, can feel the feel the shiver that I feel right now having just listened to that speech again and thought about my own gratefulness to this great country. Are they there? Oh, absolutely. I would say that uh, well over half of uh, Americans today are, can still listen to a speech like this by JFK or any other any speech from Reagan, several of Trump's, and, and feel that little tickling down the spine of pride and uh, stuff like that. But there is also a large and for a long time now growing minority of people who simply don't like America, or at least what America was set up to be to be this uh, shining city on a, on a hill, a peaceful, wealthy country where people could come and build new lives. Um, certainly, uh, the left today want a lot of people to come here, but uh, this open border policy they are embracing uh, has a dark undertone in that they, they hope that diluting the American people with a lot of, of, of people who don't even speak the language and even less are schooled in what it means to be an American. They hope to uh, dilute the, the, the strength and thickness of, of Americanism uh, over the long run. Plus, of course, uh, vote the right blue way in, in their way of seeing things. Yeah, you know, and I'd be remiss, Anders, if I didn't mention today is George Washington's birthday, who, uh, in my opinion, is the greatest uh, American general uh, that's uh, ever served uh, and uh, set the model for the presidency, uh, quite frankly. And, uh, you know, uh, you mentioned in uh, some of your writings that it's just really incredibly unbelievable the response of the uh, of what I would call and do call today the American government uh, and corporate and media cabal uh, to Donald Trump's first election, let alone what's going on happening today. 
And uh, is, is, is that treatment of this Mr. Trump, the 45th president of the United States, and I think the future 47th president of the United States, uh, is that what drove you to really write this book? Uh, I know you've studied history and politics in America. You came here from Sweden uh, uh, in order to do that. Uh, but is that, was that the driving idea when you, as you observed what's happening in American society? Uh, Trump personally, no, even if he uh, over time became a bigger and bigger part of of the end of my story in my book, Radical Betrayal, after he became president in 2017. Uh, my interest goes much further back. And I, just to give you my personal story in, in, in two seconds, I fell in love with America and Americanism at a very young age. I was 10 years old and I had nagged my mother to sit up and watch the election results coming in in 1980. And even if I didn't really speak the language, it was something with Reagan and America that, that I simply fell in love with. And as my studies progressed and my life went on, I, I decided to come over here in 2011 and study for a PhD in, in politics and political history and political theory. So, and in the middle of my, my PhD dissertation writing, uh, which this book is based on, uh, Trump became president. So, of course, he, uh, he and his history and ideas and, uh, and personality became a very large part of it towards the end. But my, my story goes all the way from the late 1800s up until today. So, uh, but it's basically, it also became a, a history of, of the background of the MAGA moment and, and, and uh, Trump, because they are only a response to the betrayal of American exceptionalism, the traditional American exceptionalism as we have lived with now for uh, over a hundred years. Yeah, I have to agree with you. You know, uh, uh, well, we have our live audience uh, over in spaces that's listening to us. And uh, uh, let's see if we've got a hand up over there for any questions for you before we go into our first break. And after that break, we will uh, talk about that history. I've got a little clip that can frame it up for us that talks about the history of American exceptionalism for about a minute, uh, because uh, it, it does go way far back, the the attempt to uh, end American exceptionalism. Okay, Cat uh, Shell, our host in X Spaces, I see a hand up over there. Go ahead, Doc. Hey, thanks for having me, Colonel. Um, Sir, you write not only um, about corruption on the left in your book, but corruption also on the right. Um, and with our elite uniparty style system that we've kind of evolved into, um, what's a way to kind of affect change within that system, um, do you think? Well, the easy answer to that question is that uh, we will have to push the the neocons and, and to some extent the rhinos out of the Republican Party to, to, to cleanse it, so to speak, because uh, as we will probably talk about more later, neocons actually, they are not real conservatives. Uh, they, they are, th their ideology is based on a lot of, 
old, dusty, left-wing ideological views and um, and precepts. So they, according to to me, they don't belong in uh, Abraham Lincoln's party and Ronald Reagan's party at all. They they may have had a role to play during the Cold War, but definitely not now. That's a, a interesting answer, you know, because the Cold War pieces were we really started seeing publicly uh, neocons like Bill Crystal's father uh, kind of coming out uh, and making their voices known. And, it, and they actually did help uh, drive the country to the point where we elected Ronald Reagan uh, and then we spent the Soviet Union communists uh, uh, into oblivion, uh, quite frankly. Uh, through our manufac still manufacturing strength, uh, our uh, our strength in the, the political will to build up and, and reinvigorate the Defense Department, uh, and then our financial strength, uh, which uh, uh, in those days uh, we were we were considered weak coming out of the Carter administration, but Reagan was able to put a financial plan together to. Uh, quickly rebuild that and those three facets uh, of his policies uh, really led to uh, the downfall of the Soviet Union, in my opinion. And the neocons did play a role in getting the Democrats kind of uh, on board uh, so that America was more united going into the 80s and the Reagan administration. That's that's my belief anyway, as an observer who was very young then, I was, I'm about eight years older than you. Uh, uh, Anders. Uh, so my first election I voted in was for Ronald Reagan. Well, we've got to take our first break, uh, but when we come back, we'll see that little video clip about the history of American exceptionalism uh, and then uh, uh, get Mr. Edwardson to uh, take us through uh, why this started, how it started, when it started, and up to today before we talk about these neocons in a little bit uh, more detail in the third segment. I'm Rob Manus, Patriot.TV Live. Today's Truth Thursday. We'll be right back. The world is about to shift. Banks are going cashless globally with the emergence of central bank digital currency, which will bring with it programmable money and the ability to turn on or off your purchasing power based on your digital social profile. It's like the equivalent of spyware in your bank account. You need to get out of the system with the world's safest and most private assets, silver and gold. Call Kirk Elliott, Ph.D. at 877-547-5743. That's 877-KIRK-PHD. America at its founding was not just another nation. America was exceptional. It was different in the way our government worked. It was different in the way the people interacted with each other. It was different in its aspirations. The fact that America was exceptional from the founding through the 19th century does not necessarily mean that it is still exceptional today. The ideology of the United States has changed. It was an ideology that said the best government was an extremely small government that left people alone to make their way in life as they saw fit. Today, 
very few people who are either Democrats or Republicans would subscribe to the strict limits on government that the founders put in place with the Constitution. America is not as egalitarian as it used to be. We have seen Americans who are at the top of society increasingly live apart from Americans in the mainstream. That is a new feature of American life and it is different from the exceptionalism we once enjoyed. The qualities of Americans have changed. It is simply a statement of fact that Americans don't work as hard as they used to on average. It is a statement of fact that we are less religious than we used to be. And our community life has changed as we no longer participate at the same rates that used to make American community life so exceptional. Welcome back to the Rob Manus Show on Patriot.tv, and we're live here on Truth Thursday talking with author and uh, a PhD in political science, uh, Anders Edwardson, uh, whose first book is Radical Betrayal, How Liberals and the Neoconservatives Are Betraying uh, and Deconstructing American Exceptionalism uh, in a Nutshell. Uh, Anders, that little clip there uh, showed, showed talked about the history, but also uh, he made some good points about uh, as we move forward into our future, the changes that have occurred. Uh, my first question I had when I when I took a look at the book was, okay, uh, if the founders intended us to be an exceptional nation, where's the evidence of that? Uh, and I know you write about it, but could you just give the audience a quick uh, synopsis of uh, why America was intended to be an exceptional nation by the founders? Or how? Yeah, uh, my gosh, that that's a that's a gigantic uh, subject. But they, when you read the founders, the the the, the Federalist Papers, the Declaration of Independence, and, and and the U.S. Constitution, it's obvious that the founders saw a historical chance to make America something else. It would have been very easy, given that the, the colonies were uh, ruled by by Britain, to just have declared independence and also just crown a, a, a king uh, of our own, and he could have started uh, na naming an aristocracy and handing out fancy titles and uh, and and all the all the bad things that was going on over in Europe. But none of them, uh, to my knowledge, wanted America to be uh, like Europe uh, overall. On the contrary, they wanted it to be politically, socially, economically, and culturally different. And they set up, uh, through the Constitution, a brilliant uh, political system to make this possible. And as was mentioned in the movie, it uh, it worked very well. It made America the one of the biggest, richest, and strongest countries in in just a little bit over a hundred years. But the irony then yeah. is that as we peaked in the 1890s, that's also when the reaction among liberals and what we later today call neoconservatives uh, started. Uh, it, it, it became like a, an outcome of all the wealth and all the strength that the earlier system, the original system, had um, 
uh, had created. And we, we can, if you want, we, we can give a short history on, on both sides, what, what happened. Yeah, I was wondering, uh, because you used the term liberals and neoconservatives uh, throughout the book, uh, so you see them as synonymous. And do you think that the uh, outcome of the Civil War that created uh, a strong central federal government uh, uh, that's almost overpowering uh, uh, when you juxtapose it against the original Constitution and, and its intention, set the stage for the 1890s uh, liberals uh, to begin this path that's been wrecking our exceptionalism ever since? To some extent, absolutely. Seeds were uh, put in the ground uh, during and just after the Civil War that was all well intended. It was to uh, finally get rid of slavery and, and, and help the, the millions of former slaves to, uh, to uh, get on a track to a much better life. But like with everything, these changes uh, in principle and, and, and amendments and stuff, they over time started to become interpreted in ways they were not intended to. And this is a pattern that becomes extra clear with, with the Civil Rights Act of, of 1964 when we, when we get to that. But yes, the, the, it's, if you want to, to draw it all the way back to 19, 1865 or something, you, you, you are right. The, the federal government uh, bloomed, its powers uh, and influence started to, to bloom up during the Civil War, and even if it sank back a little bit uh, of the decades after the Civil War, it had partly created a new mentality that we would uh, see both in domestic and foreign policy that um, the federal gov government could do more than originally intended. And I guess uh, starting in the 1890s, uh... Uh, liberals, uh, didn't matter what party they're in, uh, honestly to me, uh, the liberals really saw that they had an opportunity to control that federal government uh, and, and that the Civil War created two generations after it, the, the Americans that knew that they couldn't really stand up to that centralized government because, I mean, after all the war was started to preserve the Union, uh, even though we ended up being able to eliminate slavery in the ensuing, you know, 100 years afterwards, uh, uh, and, and even to a certain extent, the discrimination and those kind of things in our laws anyway. Uh, so what were the thresholds that were crossed leading up to today uh, that the liberals were able to get done that have resulted in what we're seeing happening right now? Yeah, again, you, you, you can, you, really need to start to focus on details in the 1890s because then under the influence of uh, a lot of European thinkers like uh, Rousseau, uh, Comte, to some extent even Karl Marx, there was an academic uh, intellectual movement uh, against the original uh, concept of America, the, the small federal government America, who uh, it started out as a few uh, academics and journalists and professors and, and other intellectuals. But 
they created an, a, a new ideology uh, or school of thought uh, called progressivism. And that's really the theoretical break between the old, um, old America, so to speak, original America, and, and the new one. Because according to progressivism, government isn't a potential problem. Government is a potential savior. Uh, they thought, uh, contrary to the founders who, uh, correctly, if you ask me, noted that the most human souls are so corrupted partially by vices that they shouldn't have too much political power. Progressives thought that uh, progress, medical and industrial and others, uh, philosophical, during the 19th century had changed human nature to such an extent that really smart, good-hearted people could get into government and make uh, the federal government and make um, life better for all. So it, it wasn't a nefarious intent, but as often uh, they, they, they were over-optimistic and uh, because hum human nature hasn't changed. We are the same now as we were in 1776. Uh, the culture has changed, but that doesn't change uh, the, the basic setup of or how human uh, works. And when you give politicians and bureaucrats power, they will, without any uh, exception, except maybe for a few very very idealistic individuals. People will start, the people love power. They want to enrich themselves. They want uh, they want to extend their power to new areas and, and all this. And from the 1890s onwards, uh, this new worldview started to take over uh, in the long run, first and foremost, the, the Democratic Party. And it really started to to bloom out with the LBJ in the 1960s. Yeah. Do you think uh, uh, Do you think that the uh, the amendment that established the personal income tax uh, uh, helped the this path uh, the liberals set up the country on to be more successful? I know a lot of people, and myself included, believe that that was a uh, one of the thresholds in the early 1900s. Uh, that led to an even further expansion of the federal government and its power over the states and the people. Oh, absolutely. It was uh, pushed through uh, during Woodrow Wilson, uh, the progressive Democrat Woodrow Wilson's presidency. And it, it opened, uh, if, this, if the progressive movement had laid down the intellectual foundation for the liberal welfare state, federal welfare state, the, the amendment that allowed the federal government to tax Americans' income gave the, the, the practical means. Because before that, the federal government's income was so limited that they couldn't do very much. And that was deliberate how it was set up by the founders to keep the government small. But when when you made it possible to start to uh, to tax people's income, the sky suddenly became the limit. Uh, un, 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 under the, the 
the hurrah of let the rich pay for 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 everything or the rich will pay for it taxes has gone up from federal taxes for normal americans and gone up from zero to i don't really know where we are today is it 30 percent or something for most americans on their income and this this is the main revenue for the federal government without it they would be forced to go back to just doing defense and diplomacy and uh, a little infrastructure and stuff like that yeah it's uh it's interesting uh where we're at today looking back on this path that we've taken in the context of american exceptionalism and uh for people like us who uh, and those in our audience, too, who believe in the United States still, even today, uh, we do. Uh, it's just striking uh, that we see the things happening uh, around us today. Well, Anders, we've got to take another break. But when we come back, we'll hear from Austin Peterson uh, in a short clip of, of what he thinks about neoconservatives. And I want to talk uh, in depth about that in our final segment with Anders here, uh, because uh it's critically important that you understand the neocon concept and who they are and where they want to go in order for us to start getting our minds around how we can square the difference between the true American exceptionalism, having this Leviathan government, and moving into the future where we can regain a constitutional republic as the founders intended uh, in some way or fashion that protects our liberty. I'm Rob Manus on Patriot.TV Live. We'll be right back after these messages. When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company. Like super woke. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my coworkers and walk around the office on eggshells and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, long time no see, no can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder. Just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work. Neoconservatism, a political philosophy that embodies American exceptionalism, spreads democracy, and demands a strong foreign policy. It advocates using American power, including military force, to defend its values and interests overseas. Neocons prize a robust national defense and reject limits to American sovereignty by international organizations. They support limited government and free market capitalism. The philosophy rose to prominence under George W. Bush's administration, promoting democracy in the Middle East through military intervention. But what many don't know is that neoconservatism started as a leftist movement born from disillusioned former socialists and liberal Democrats. On immigration, neocons are divided. They value American culture and support restrictions on immigration to maintain cultural values, but also support free market policies and immigration as a means of economic competitiveness. While neoconservatism has been the subject of significant controversy, its impact on American foreign policy and its role in shaping the geopolitical landscape of the 21st century cannot be overstated. Thanks for watching. Please subscribe for more philosophical updates just like this.
Welcome back to the Rob Manus Show, and we're talking with author uh, Anders Edwardson about his book, uh, Radical Betrayal, How Liberals and Neoconservatives Are Wrecking American Exceptionalism. Well, Anders, uh, I'm not sure I totally agree with uh, Austin's uh, uh, definition of, uh, uh, of neoconservatism, all of it, through that video, but I wanted to play it because there, there are differing views. But I can tell you this. We are now in a nation that has an endless war policy that is being invaded from the southern border by non-Americans. A bill was just introduced two days ago in the U.S. Congress to allow illegal aliens to enlist in the United States Armed Forces so they can get the opportunity for a fast track to citizenship. And if you remember your history of the fall of the Roman Empire, that action is one of the last things they did that led to the end of the Roman Empire. And they were it had put themselves in the exact same position. They led their policies, both internally and externally, with military force. And as a retired military officer and commander uh, that's commanded in peace and war, uh, I am absolutely opposed to neoconservatives' philosophy in that vein. I don't care what other philosophies they have, but Real quickly, who were they, who are they, uh, and what's their real goal? Because I don't think Austin's right, completely right in that video. No, I, I agree with you. It was a very uh, simplistic uh, view, view of them. It, it wasn't directly wrong, but it, 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 it was not directly right either. Uh, the the neocons are a relatively recent um, Phenomena, but, but we need to go, again. We need to go back to the eighteen nineties to really understand what where they are coming from. And they started as uh, a group of mostly Republican, but quickly also more and more Democrats. Who, when America became this uh, so enormously rich and uh, and potentially powerful in in, in the late eighteen hundreds who said that the founders had been wrong. America shouldn't just be a model for other countries to, uh, to, to copy if they wanted to. Uh, we are so good that we need to start to send uh, military overseas and implement our system for the betterment of other people in, in their countries. And this started with, with first and foremost, Cuba, and to some extent also the Philippines after the Spanish-American War in 1898. And this idea that America not had both the, the will and the means, so to speak, to change the world actively, not only stand up as, as a shining city on a hill and, and show the path forward, uh, uh, again, Woodrow Wilson, the same progressive Democrat that uh, introduced the federal income tax and many other progressive uh, policies at home, he dragged us into uh, the First World War with the explicit uh, idea to change the whole world system through the uh, Versailles Treaty to, uh, to, to create actively a democratic and peaceful world. 
And this worked so well that it only took Adolf Hitler and a few others uh, 20 years to, to get into power and start an even worse war. So even again, even if the intent were good, the outcomes were disastrous. But then we went directly from the Second World War, which was a good war in the meaning that Hitler truly needed to be uh, to be uh, to be defeated, uh, and the Amer America had to help that to happen. And then we slided into the Cold War so quickly that there was no real time to think about if if America should continue playing an international role or not. It, it, it more or less just happened. And then uh, after we won the, the Cold War, depending on the long term, the simple reason that America was much better functioning and communism doesn't work. And so we, as you said before, we could simply spend them out of existence. Uh, this idea that America could change any country, any culture into a democratic and capitalistic uh, system took root. And these first, first generation of so-called neoconservatives were, as the movie pointed out, uh, old socialists who had switched side uh, but re retained their revolutionary glow and belief in radical change uh, and that that could uh, happen on, 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 on with the help of guns if necessary and these turned into a group of very ideological uh, theoretically driven uh, people on the right they call themselves conservatives but that's probably a different show what conservatism really is. But philosophically, it's more like a form of right. Neoconservatism is a right wing form of liberalism, militant liberalism uh, in the meaning that they are trying to use. They like a big government. They call some even call themselves big government conservatives. And they, they, they believe that they can use the U.S. government for good, both abroad, but also to some extent at home. And it, the, the outcomes are as uh, hazardous and, and, and often negative when, when people on the right are doing that as when people on the left uh, are doing it. So that's, that's the historical background of the neoconservatives. They, they, they were all left-wingers who switched side and tried to outright the right with, with rhetoric. So they uh, took up American exceptionalist rhetoric uh, to, uh, and used it to, um, to describe their policies and their goals, even if they were in several ways different from the founders and original exceptionalism. And this is, this is one of the main uh, points in my book, if not their main, is that American exceptionalism has lost a lot of its influence and cloth uh, among Americans. The, 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 the giving speeches like Reagan doesn't, uh, as we said before, don't um, engage people uh, 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 and make them feel as good as it did 40, 50 years ago, simply because both radicals on both the left and the right has used exceptionalist sounding rhetoric 
to try to sell their sausages. Uh, even if those sausages don't contain the original recipe uh, that the founders uh, wanted it to do or, or fill their <laughs> sausages with. So the, it, uh, exceptionalist rhetoric has been corrupted and misused and has therefore lost a lot of the unifying power it had only a few uh, decades ago. Yeah. Uh you're exactly right, you know, uh, and you you could see it uh, just yesterday. I mean, Joe Biden uh, is trying to use uh, the perspective of American exceptionalism to get the House of Representatives to pass more uh, funding for the Ukraine-Russia war uh, instead of using it uh, to uh, to try to come to a diplomatic solution uh, so we can stop killing hundreds of thousands of people in Eastern Europe. Uh, and I use that term we intentionally because we're part of it now. We made ourselves part of that. Uh, uh, I, I also, you know, and I hear in your words, uh, Anders, that that the the relationship uh, and the establishment of the Chinese Communist Party that uh, that walked away from the Soviet-style command economy that was isolated and not profitable and couldn't be sustained, and we spent them into the ground. That was a neocon project where the United States actually encouraged China to become uh, capitalist in their econ economic perspective while they maintained the Communist Party as the controlling uh, power in the People's Republic of China. And now we face a vast hegemon that's economic powerhouse compared to what we face in the Soviet Union. And the approach that Reagan and his team used wouldn't be as accessible, would it? No, absolutely not. And China is probably the best uh, example on how the neoconservative ideology is, even if it sounds good for us normal conservatives, they, they use all the right words and that, but their philosophical uh, and ideological worldview is that everything, they, they are communists still in that meaning, just like Karl Marx thought that everything is economy, everything according to their worldview goes down on money and profit and markets and stuff like that. So they thought uh, idealistically that if we manage to introduce capitalism in China, Communism will will come down eventually, also, just like it had done in the Soviet Union uh, or, or Eastern right. Europe, at least. So it's it's a basic flaw of the neoconservative ideology to that everything just change the economy and politics will will follow. It's if anything, it's the other way around, and it's not even uh, politics first and foremost that needs to be changed first. It's culture, because if you don't have the right culture, they try to introduce, um, and here again, Eastern Europe is, is, is a good laboratory here, because democracy and capitalism worked uh, well in, in countries in Central uh, and, and Southern Europe that has once been part of the Roman Empire and had a Western heritage, cultural heritage. While, as we see in Russia and Belarus and to some extent also in, in Ukraine, these old autocratic, culturally and religiously autocratic uh, uh, 
countries further east, they tried to introduce uh, both capitalism and democracy, but they had ended up uh, nepotistic uh, dictatorships in, uh, instead. Uh, so yeah. it they sought in the wrong end. Yeah, it's a it's a mess. Well, thank you so much, Anders, for spending time with us and talking about your book. We've got about uh, thirty seconds left. Uh, tell folks where they can find you, where they can get the book "Radical Betrayal" uh, by this man who has chosen to come to America and study this uh, situation and help us find a path forward that's successful. Go ahead, Anders. You can buy Radical Betrayal both on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles online and also some small, smaller online uh, booksellers. You can also go to radicalbetrayal.com that takes you to my website. Um, there it contains, uh, there is some more information about the book, a few uh, review quotes, and uh, also links to both Amazon and Barnes and Noble. So, uh, radicalbetrayal.com. Thank you, sir. God bless you. And, uh, we'll be following you, and uh, uh, hopefully, we'll get you back on again, and we can talk about that definition of conservatism. Uh, Andrew oh. Edwardson. Anytime. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, well, we've got some breaking news uh, about the South Carolina primary, and we're going to hear from the uh, National Operations Director of Veterans for Trump, Chad Caton, on that breaking news right after this break. We'll be right back at the Rob Manus Show Live, Patriot.tv. What if this happened to you when you're alone? Or what if it happened here? With MedGuard Alert, you're never alone. You can connect with medical professionals anywhere, anytime. And now MedGuard is introducing our exclusive new CareWatch. If you need help quickly, use it from anywhere to contact medical professionals. No cell phone required. The CareWatch is not only a life-saving medical alert device, it's a revolutionary health monitoring system that checks your blood pressure, heart rate, oxygen saturation, and much more. And here's the best part. If you have Medicaid, you may qualify to get your care watch for free. The care watch is only available through MedGuard Alert. Call us right now. We have monitoring programs starting as low as a dollar a day. The call is free. Activation is free. Shipping is free. And no contract is required. Remember, with Medicaid, you may qualify to get your care watch for free. Don't wait. Call us to get your care watch right now. Operators are standing by. Welcome back to the Rob Manus Show on Patriot.tv Live. Uh, that was a great conversation with uh, author of Radical Betrayal, Anders Edwardson from Sweden originally. Uh, but we've got some breaking news that we need to break into the show for out of uh, uh, CPAC and South Carolina. We've got the National Operations Director of Veterans for Trump with us, Chad Caton. Chad, are you there? I'm good, Colonel. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, got you loud and clear, my friend. Uh, hey, I know the South Carolina primary is day after tomorrow, folks. Did you hear me there, Americans? Go vote for Donald Trump as the president of the Mississippi chapter of Veterans for Trump. I'm here to ask you to do that. But, Chad, what's going on? I see you're at CPAC. What's going on in South Carolina? What do the folks need to hear about the current events there? Just this morning, and my thing is we're military, right, General? 
I mean, Colonel, sorry, I gave you a, uh, I was with General Flynn the other day, so I'm trying to figure out which one I, you are. So you're a Colonel, he's a General, got it. I always try to give you a field promotion, you know that, Colonel. <laughs> Go ahead. In South Carolina right now, we have mailers going out everywhere. They're going to the Democrats. That's weird, right, for the Republican uh, primary. Well, we have the most open primary in the world. It is a very disgusting deal because that's why the Democrats decided to put the Democrat primary ahead of the Republicans. That's why they put a Nikki Haley out there. They want this to hurt Donald Trump. They wanted to find a firewall. For some reason, they chose South Carolina. Maybe it's because of the establishment board we've been fighting for the last 10 years. Frankly, I don't know. But what is happening, and for absolute truth, and Colonel, I will text these to you, there was three different mailers that went out to Democrat voters. And, and the idea behind the Democrat voter is off of the voter roll. They are realizing that there are strong Republican voters or strong Democrat voters. And right now we have mailers and you ran for office, Colonel. You know exactly how expensive that can be. And that's what Nikki Haley or her dark money is doing in South Carolina. And I can add to that. 150,000 people as a Democratic Party went out and voted in the primary. On average, since the 70s, it's been around four to 500,000 vote in the Democratic primary. This year, 150,000. That leaves a whole bunch of room for people to do what the Democrats are calling Operation Primary Pivot. This is something that can't happen, and I am here talking about it anywhere somebody will put a camera in front of my face because I need my South Carolinians all over the state to not become complacent because of the polling that you're seeing that trumps up 30 points. Don't get complacent. Saturdays are in the South or for family. Make sure you take your family to the polls. Show your kids what it is to be a patriot and go out there and put that vote in for Donald Trump. Do not expect somebody else to do it for you because the Democrats are coming for us in a primary that should have been closed long, long ago. Oh, you're absolutely right. I can't say that I'm surprised that Democrat Nikki Haley is trying to encourage Democrats uh, you, you know, abusing the rules and the law to come vote uh, for her uh, so that she can try to make Donald Trump look bad for some reason. A uh, uh, question for you, though. The first one is, who's funding this? It's dark money. Dark money is what they do, right? Uh, we, we have the lobbyists. We have the PACs. That's how you get elected. And, and we, we knew the Cokes were involved. The Cokes have, have since left them and said they're going to focus on the Senate. Who knows where the money's coming? Who knows if the DNC is doing it through their other PACs? And, and funneling this money to make these uh, these mailers go out. Either way, Operation Primary Pivot is the goal. We didn't make this up as the conservative uh, right. We didn't make this up. As a matter of fact, uh, the, the message coming out of South Carolina is Trump's up by a ton, and that's fine, but it's not what we can sit back and sit on our laurels. Complacency in our job in the military got us killed. Am I right, Colonel? It's gonna, it can get, uh, put us in a bad situation in South Carolina. If we, in fact, we become complacent and we, ex we, we, we read the polls and say, I'm going to go to that birthday party instead of making sure I go vote. Oh, absolutely. That's why I'll be continuing to uh, organize my volunteers to make phone calls into South Carolina to, uh, for Trump on behalf of Trump through using Trump Talk. Uh, we've been doing that for several weeks ever since New Hampshire, and we think we're having a positive impact on that. And I think folks are doing it all around the country. Uh, Chad. Uh, You've been on the ground recently in South Carolina. I know you're up at CPAC today, but uh, uh, you're going to the events. You're talking to the campaign uh, reps. Uh, 
you're talking, most importantly, talking to voters, what's your sense of what's going to happen Saturday night when this is all over? We're going to spank Nikki Haley. It's that simple. We don't have time to be talking about how this isn't going to work for us or where we don't. That's why I'm on your show right now, Colonel. I need all South Carolinians. I want the polls to be so packed that people don't know what to do with themselves. I want South Carolina and the establishment to recognize we the people are going to take control and you and the, your friends, like you think is the way it's supposed to be, is no longer. We're coming after every rhino out there. We are going to break America first under Veterans for Trump and Veterans for America first. And we are going to bring this machine and change our republic for the better. Absolutely. And that's, that's why you're at CPAC uh, right now, which it's been a while since they've had it in, in the D.C. area. I think it's at the Gaylord Hotel at National Harbor. Uh, there again. Uh, uh, what are folks talking about? I see brick suit behind you. Uh, so yeah, people that I know are up there. there. I, I'm jealous. Uh, I'm jealous that I, I'm stuck here in the studio. But uh, uh, so what? What are folks telling you in your travels around uh, CPAC? There. You know, Colonel. What people? What really makes me feel good? It'll make you feel good. People are looking for answers. People are looking for ways to move forward. It's not a red pill situation here anymore. People are asking, how do I get involved in my precinct? How do I take back my Republican Party? How do we get involved to the point where we actually make a difference? This isn't where we're a bunch of people came to the Gaylord Hotel here in, in D.C. and want to be red-pilled. People are learning. People are asking questions. People are conversing about how to get involved. And that's what's been exciting for me with Veterans for Trump and Veterans for America First is that we are putting people in this coalition. We are building this to make it as big as we can to to take back our country from the Republican Party to your to your city, your state, your county. That's where it starts. As our as our mutual great friend, and I just got done talking to Mike Mike Flynn Jr. Just like General Flynn always says, local action has national impact. And today at CPAC, everybody is figuring out how they can get involved and bring back our republic to what we know under apple pie on the fourth of July. Hoorah, right? Absolutely, brother. So uh, one more question, uh, and then I'll let you go. But uh, when you're talking to folks up there about what's happening to Donald Trump and his family and what the government, the media cabal, the uniparty cabal, uh, and I can't overemphasize it enough, it's more than just the Democrats. It's Republicans that have power, too, uh, that, are, that are attacking this man and his family through all means available. They've done everything so far except try to kill him. Uh, are folks uh, seeing that? Uh, uh, how's their feeling about that? I, I, I think uh, I saw a, a, a Charlie Kirk spot a little bit ago that he talked to the president yesterday. He's in really good spirits. He's optimistic. Uh, I mean, if he can be that way, are the Americans that are around you today and that you see in South Carolina, are they thinking the same way that uh, doesn't matter what the what the cabal is doing uh, through lawfare or whatever? Uh, we're going to move forward and we're going to crush this election, whether it's the primaries or the general. Uh, uh, are you getting that sense, too? Because that's what I get. But I but I'm not out there with the crowds like you've been recently. <laughs> I, I, and you're right. I just got back from Kentucky speaking with General Flynn to the Republican women in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. I've been I've been home for 16 hours this week and I'm going to not be back till Saturday. But. It's the greatest thing I've seen because what's happening, along with people trying to be educated, activated, and motivated, 
they are finding themselves becoming educated to the point where they're getting involved like you and I do in the minutia. They're getting involved in the Republican Party. These people are fired up. These people are ready to get back in the game or to get in the game for the first time. Just like I say after every speech, it's very simple, right, Colonel? Show up, stand up, speak up. It's your republic. Fight for it. You don't have to be somebody that understands the politics. You don't have to be somebody that understands the nuances. All we want you to do is what people are doing right here at CPAC, and that is standing with fellow patriots and saying, not today, Satan. Absolutely, my friend. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to help us with this breaking news, my friend. Uh, and good luck on Saturday. I know you're going to be pushing voters uh, uh, like you do every single day, uh, but we got to keep in there and fight it till the end, folks. So uh, nothing's over till it's over. Go all the way to the end of Election Day uh, in South Carolina and all the way to the end of these primaries and all the way to the end of Election Day on November 5th of this year. And we are active. We are going to crush it because we're veterans for America first. We're Americans. We're veterans for Trump. And we're going to look like we are winners because we are winners. Thank you, my friend. Colonel, what better place than when you're sitting here doing an interview, somebody comes up and gives you all glory. This is what this is about. This isn't a bunch of red pilling. This is getting it done under the guise of the fabric of this nation. And we're going to take it back. Each person's going to learn their place. Each person's going to learn how to do it. And I'm proud to call you a friend, Colonel. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to give you a live hit here from CPAC. God bless everybody. And don't worry about Nikki. We're going to take care of her in South Carolina. Don't let me down, South Carolina. Get to the polls. Oh, we're with you. I'll be making calls tomorrow again myself. So that was Chad Caton, the National Operations Director for Veterans for America First, Veterans for Trump from South Carolina. Nobody knows South Carolina politics better than Chad. And from a live hit at CPAC, giving us the latest news there. So. Next Monday, More War Mondays, Dr. Randy Arrington, retired U.S. Navy commander. We got a lot to talk about with the Ukraine-Russia war, so it's another update on that. I'm Rob Manus at Patriot.TV Live. God bless America, and remember, we're a red, white, and blue nation. We're not a red and blue nation.